Well, hey, good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? I'll take that one good morning. <laughs> yeah, so good to have you here to worship the Lord with us this morning. If you're new uh, and visiting with us for the very first time, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, easy, simple way to do that is to text that word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, whether you're watching uh, online or here in person. Uh, we'd love to connect with you real, real simple. But hey, uh, Veterans Day was yesterday. And uh, as customary here at LifePoint, we want to take a moment uh, to recognize those of you that have served in uh, whatever branch of the military. Uh, and so if you're a veteran this morning, would you just stand so we could recognize you today here at LifePoint? Veteran served in the past. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful and so appreciative of your service. And of course, those that uh, continue to serve, we're very grateful for your service uh, to our country. But uh, blessing to have you here with us this morning. First Samuel chapter 24, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We are going to continue on in our series in First Samuel, probably a few more weeks here uh, through the uh, end of the month. And then we'll start a new uh, series for Christmas. And then, of course, looking forward to our Christmas Eve service uh, at the high school, making plans for that right now. Looking forward to uh, just a large group of people to, uh, from the community to walk into those, uh, into those doors and hear the gospel, amen? So that's going to be a really, really good time. But looking forward to that. Uh, raise your hand if you were at one time, especially if you're a guy, afraid of your father-in-law. Raise your hand. When you first met your father-in-law, he was like, I am petrified of this human being. He's a very intimidating person. Uh, that was me. I mean, I was afraid uh, to meet, uh, you know, my, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife's uh, uh, dad, you know, in Texas, and we met for the first time, and, uh, you know, got along very, very well, but I remember when I was going to ask him to marry Christine, and I don't know if, does, do we still do, do people still do that? Do that? Yes, I, I think so. It was like, back in my day, we used to have to ask, you know, and I feel really old saying that, um, but that's what we did, right? And if you did that, that's probably one of the, you know, most fearful conversations you had with this, this man, right? Uh, if you're a guy, is to ask uh, your, your wife's hand in marriage, your, your, how do you say that? I don't even know how to say that, right? <laughs> ask for your, your uh, ask to marry, you know, your, uh, your, your, the girl you're dating. I, I can't talk this morning. <laughs> just walk off stage right now. Anyways, traumatic experience in my life, right? But I remember, I was like, I need to ask him, right? You know, can I marry your daughter, Christine? And he said, and he had been obviously thinking about this because he said, I have three questions for you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I have three questions for you. Question number one, question number one was this. He said, can you drive a stick shift? And I was like, that's the question? <laughs> like, yeah, like I learned on a stick shift. I was like, good, got that one. Question number two, he said, can you change the oil in the car? And I said, yes, sir, I most certainly can change the oil in the car. And then his uh, last and final question was, can you take care of my daughter? I was like, yes, sir, I believe I can take care uh, of your daughter. And so I, I felt good, you know, uh, in that conversation. Initially, I was like really fearful and got that done. And, and uh, to this day, we have a great, great relationship. I think I'm his favorite. Um, and I think really for the top two, not so much caring for his daughter, but I think that we just have this connection mechanically. Wouldn't you agree with that, <laughs> that, uh, that statement? But have a great relationship. I don't fear him, uh, you know, like I once did. And hopefully you have a similar story today. Like you 
you have a great relationship with your, your father-in-law, maybe you connect, whatever the case might be. But uh, as we get to 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, David couldn't say the same thing. Like David couldn't say that he had a good relationship uh, with his father-in-law. You see, shortly after David killed Goliath, remember the story in chapter 17, he uh, became this successful and famous soldier in Saul's army, and, and uh, he also became the king's son-in-law. And as you can imagine, that probably was a very fearful thing uh, for David to become the son-in-law to the king. Uh, and so what happened was Saul gave his, uh, his daughter, uh, Michal, to... Uh, to David uh, to be his wife, and, and, and that was probably a difficult thing for him. In fact, he didn't take that uh, very, very lightly. In fact, earlier he said, does it seem a small thing to you to become the king's son-in-law? And so uh, David, you know, didn't just like charge into that, you know, uh, full bore. He was a little tentative to become the king's son-in-law, but he did eventually do just that. He married Michal and became part of Saul's uh, extended family. And as you may already know, uh, Saul and David did not have a great relationship, right? They had a very tumultuous relationship to say the least. And, and in chapter 24 today, David is on the run because think about this, his father-in-law wants to kill him, right? Now, some of you dads in the room who currently have a son-in-law, you might be able to relate. I'm not so sure uh, to that very thing. Um, I can't speak to that. Uh, but Saul wanted to kill David, his son-in-law. And he spent a lot of time, he spent a lot of energy in seeking that outcome. You see, Saul was threatened by David. Uh, Saul was threatened by David's successes. He, he, was, he was threatened because David would become the next king of Israel. Uh, and Saul knew, I forfeited that position, that title, uh, because of my disobedience. We learned about that many, many chapters ago. Uh, God would take the kingdom and the title and the position away from Saul and give it to David. And so therefore, Saul uh, had, had a, a, a distrust of David, and uh, David became Saul's enemy for, for many, many uh, years. Uh, and, and really, the reason was just jealousy, uh, right? In fact, one commentator said this, and it'll be on the screen. He said, nothing but the blind infatuation of fiendish rage could have led the king to pursue his outlawed son-in-law among those craggy and perpendicular precipices, I love the verbiage here, where were inaccessible hiding places. I mean, this fiendish jealousy, fiendish rage that drove Saul to pursue his son-in-law, and you think your family is dysfunctional this morning. Uh, look at the, the family of uh, David and Saul. I mean, they had a messed up relationship. That's the truth. That is the reality. But there's some things, I think, that you and I can learn this morning from their relationship, especially from David here this morning, that I believe can help us in our own relationships, our family relationships, our relationships really with anyone, and that is this is how do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with a conflict that arises in all of our relationships? Because let's be honest, this morning, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have conflict with someone. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have conflict likely with a family member, someone in their own home, someone in their extended family, someone at, in their workplace. Everyone has conflict. And so how do we navigate these things? How do we navigate difficult relationships, difficult people? People who may hate us, people who may try to do everything in their power to, to cut us down, to destroy us, to belittle us, to make us feel insignificant. How do we deal with that? Right? And are there answers? 
I think that's a tension that we can all relate to this morning because, again, there's not a person in this room who at some point in their life has not dealt with a hateful, rage-filled, jealous human being. And for some of you here this morning, that person has been a family member. And let me just be the first to say this morning, if that's your story, if you've been hurt deeply uh, by a family member, that that's your experience. Let me be the first to say, I'm sorry that that's your experience. But let me also say this, there's hope and there's healing on the other side of it, if you're willing. If you're willing to do the hard work, if you're willing to invest, if you're willing to change your perspective on that relationship, there is hope to overcome that hardship in your life. There's another side to that pain if you're willing to do the hard work of getting there. And David, this morning, is going to give us some insight. Some insight into both help us insulate our lives uh, uh, from that very thing, those broken relationships, dealing with conflict, and then how do we personally maybe avoid it from happening over and over and over again? For, because for many of us, we're in this cycle of conflict, where it's just always like there's always conflict happening. In relationships, how do we break that cycle? What is the answer? Well, let me just warn you this morning, the answer isn't going to be what you think. And the answer doesn't lie in manipulative tactics, manipulating the situation, manipulating the other person. The answer doesn't lie in positive thinking or in redirection. The answer doesn't even lie in changing the other person. The answer actually lies in you and I. And that's why it's so hard, right? Because changing your perspective, especially in the midst of conflict is desperately, desperately challenging, but yet so, so necessary. And this is what David gives us insight into, is how do we approach this so hard, you know, difficult relationship or relationship that many of us can't even relate to, but yet David is going to show us a better way and some things that can help us navigate this very thing. And so here's the bottom line this morning, very simple, but yet so important. The only response that you can control in conflict is yours. Isn't that true? Right? Not hard to understand, but yet so true when it comes to conflict, when it comes to relationships. Listen, you can't control the other person. You can't control their responses. You can't control their rage. You can't control their words. You can't control any of it, but you can control yours, right? You can control yours. And so this is a common tension we all face. You cannot avoid conflict, right? Uh, it's absolutely ineb inevitable. But when it comes to conflict, like, how do I respond? And how do I deal with it, right? Uh, that's something my mom taught me growing up as a kid. I remember my, my mom always saying, like, whenever I had a conflict in school or a conflict with someone, my mom would always tell me, look, you can't control what other people say or what other people do, but you can control what you say and you can control what you do. Isn't that true, right? She'd always tell me that, and I'm like 45 years old now. I'm like, mom, I'm still trying to figure that one out, right? It's still a difficult thing, but yet it is so, so very true. Uh, easier said than done, right? But what we're going to discover in 1 Samuel 20, is that David knew, I can't control Saul's anger. I can't control my father-in-law's rage. I can't control my father-in-law's jealousy and paranoia, but I know I can control my own responses to all of those things. And so David really shows for us, I think, in very, very practical ways, how do we deal with our own conflict today? Conflict in the home, conflict at work, I don't care where it is, but just conflict in life. And so I want to show you some things this morning, real simple, uh, that David did to navigate this most difficult situation uh, that for most of us, again, we can't relate to. 
right? We can't relate to, because most of us don't have a rage-filled father-in-law that's trying to kill us. If you do, let's talk. Let's get you some help, okay? Uh, let's, uh, you know, get a safe house. I don't know. Um, but most of us can't relate to that. And, and here's the thing. If David could learn to navigate that most difficult situation, I think you and I this morning can learn to navigate our difficult situations as well. Let's read our text. Let's find out what's going on in David and Saul's relationship, starting in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 4, and then we'll stop there for just a little bit. But it says this, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, and this is kind of this cycle that Saul and David were in. David's running and hiding, and Saul's pursuing him, and he was pursuing him at one time, and then the Philistines attacked, and so he had to you know, uh, step away from his pursuit of David and go fight the Philistines. So this is after that had happened. It says he returned from following the Philistines, and he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And so Saul, uh, verse 2, takes 3,000 chosen men, not just any soldier, but the best of the best. Uh, and he chooses those men out of Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And so this is like that place that was very, uh, very uh, rocky, very mountainous, uh, very difficult to, um, you know, to navigate. And it says, And he came to the sheepfold, Saul and his army. Me by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. I love how real the Bible is, right? People still use the bathroom, right, in, in the Bible times, right? And so Saul does this, and he goes into this cave, and, you know, uh, if you had bodyguards and men with you, they're not going into the cave with you, right? So get that picture and understand that Saul's got to relieve himself. He's going into the cave by himself. But it says that David and his men are sitting in the innermost parts of that cave. And the men of David that are there with him, sitting in the recesses of that cave in the darkness as they peer out and they see Saul, the king, their enemy, David's father-in-law coming into that cave, here's what they say to David. Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Stop there. Just for a moment, David and his men are hiding, right? They're hiding, they're running from Saul, they're moving from one location to the next location. They're in the wilderness of Engedi, very mountainous uh, area of, of Israel. And, and what are the chances? What are the chances of Saul happening to go into the very cave that David and his men are to relieve himself? What are the chances, right? Pretty small when you think about it. Right? In, a, in a wilderness, in a large area, you know, Saul just happens to go into the very cave that, that David and his men in. Well, David and his men, they, they don't believe in chance. Like, you probably don't believe in chance. And so they look at this situation, and they're like, man, what are the chances? Well, God obviously is, is opening a door. God is obviously giving you, David, this opportunity to, to take out the king and, 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 and to, to do the very thing that you've been called to do, Right? If you've been with us for any amount of time and you, you kind of know me, you know that not all open doors are meant to walk through. Amen? Right? We use that, God opened a door. Well, not all open doors are meant to walk through. Uh, but, but some of these, these men, they interpret this chance encounter as God's providence, God's will, God's moment for you, David, to, to, to do what God has one day given you is to be the king. It's your chance, David. It's your chance to rid yourself of your enemy. It's your chance to, I mean, think about it, rid us of our enemy. I mean, we're running, we're hiding. I mean, besides, this is God's promise to you anyway. Uh, here's the day, David. Get to it. And by all respects, that sounds right, doesn't it? Right? Go ahead and do it. But was it truly an open door, as they had said? 
or was it something else? Was it a test, perhaps? A test to see whether David would take matters into his own hands or he would wait and allow God uh, to, 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 uh, to do what he wanted to do in his moment. That, that's really one of the most pressing, uh, pressing questions I think we need to ask ourselves in the midst of conflict. Will I take this matter into my own hands or will I leave it to God? Will I seek to get vengeance and justice, or will I leave vengeance and justice to God? That's a tough question to to ask ourselves and really to reconcile, I suppose, in the midst of conflict. What will I do? How will I respond? Will Will I respond in the way that I want to respond, or will I respond in the way that God wants me to respond? Well, David here does the latter. Uh, but not before cutting off a corner of, of Saul's robe, which he'll shortly regret. But let me just give you a simple piece of advice here that I think David was keenly aware of and something that, that helps us to kind of navigate. We're in the midst of conflict in relationships with, with a family, with someone at, a, at the workplace or whatever the case might be. Like, how do we go about this? And it's really the first principle I want us to see as it relates to conflict and relationships. And, and that is, is you need to be careful where you get your advice is that you need to be careful who you listen to in the midst of your conflict, in the midst of this broken relationship that you have. And for a brief moment, it would seem that David is heeding that advice and listening to his comrades as he moves ever so quietly into Saul's direction. But something, something in him would prevent him from sinking that dagger into the back of Saul. And so instead, he decides to cut the corner of his robe And as he does this, I I can only imagine the looks of disappointment on the faces of those that that are in that cave with him who are egging David on to kill Saul. You see, they interpreted this encounter as God's providence, God's will, God's promise to you, David. You're supposed to be king, David. Right? And God, God has promised to deliver you from your enemy. Here's that moment. Take it. Kill the king. And there wasn't a person in that cave who would have blamed him for doing it. Poor David, they must have thought. I mean, this is so unjust. The king's son-in-law? I mean, this isn't right. Have you ever said that before about your circumstances? This isn't right. This is so unjust. This is so unfair. This shouldn't be happening. Can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they have done? And you've got a group of people who are behind you saying, it's so not right. But I can't believe you're enduring this. How difficult and how trying. That you should just take matters into your own hands and you should get justice. You ever had that happen to you before? This is what happened to David. And David was careful to not listen to that advice. And I want to warn you this morning, you need to be careful about where you get your counsel. That you need to be careful when it comes to conflict and relationships, where you get your advice and who you listen to. And sometimes listening to you is the wrong person to listen to, that we need to actually listen to the Lord. But David knew and he understood this very, very well. Notice what David said uh, in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. It'll be on the screen. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked that you're going to live a blessed life in the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your conflict, if you choose to not listen to wicked voices. If you choose to not listen to wicked uh, counsel, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, you want to live a blessed and peaceful life, you need to be careful where you get your advice. David not only knew this and understood this, but listen, he put this 
into practice in this very scenario? Am I going to listen to God or am I going to listen to man? That's such a foundational thing, is it? Is it not? But yet so very important. Who am I going to listen to? What voices, what advice am I going to listen to in the midst of this conflict? Bad advice. You know bad counsel can wreck your life in an instant if you're not careful. I mean, it can wreck your life. You, you make the wrong choice financially, maybe with your retirement, maybe with your career, and you, you get bad advice, and you make a decision that can wreck your life. You can, you can uh, marry someone that you're not supposed to marry. That can wreck your life. You can make choices about you know, things that you do. It can wreck your life in a moment. And David knew and understood this. He says, am I going to listen to God, or am I going to listen to man, right? Uh, and, and so be careful, And if you're here this morning and that's a real struggle for you, can I encourage you to take some personal responsibility for yourself? And maybe you need to start reading uh, the book of Proverbs because Proverbs is a place where we find wisdom, where Proverbs encourages us to say, find wisdom in God, not man, right? Be careful who you listen to, right? Here's another thing to consider. How do we handle conflict? How do we look within instead of just looking at the other person uh, in the midst of our conflict? Because we need to be sensitive to the Lord's conviction. And we see this in David, and you really see the heart of David, the character of David in this scenario that he was so sensitive to the Lord's voice and the Lord's moving and the Lord's conviction in his life. I mean, that, that drove his decisions, Notice what it says in verses 5 and 6, and this is an afterward. After David had cut a corner of Saul's robe, it says his heart struck him, meaning he felt conviction. He felt remorse because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Be sensitive When the Lord is impressing upon your heart something, David cuts the corner of Saul's robe, and it kind of seems insignificant. Like, come on, it's a robe. I mean, he'll get a new one. He's the king. He probably has five, right? No big deal. He cut off his robe. David, why are you so upset with a small, insignificant thing? It's kind of interesting when you look back on Saul's life and his interaction with Samuel, and and Samuel uh, confronts Saul about his disobedience, and, and, and Samuel goes to leave, and Saul reaches out to grab Samuel, and he tears his robe, and Samuel turns back to him and says, today, the kingdom has been torn from you. And this would really serve, I think, as a reminder of that very event, of that very thing. But David just merely cuts off a corner of this robe. This robe would be significant of his position, of his title, uh, of what God had placed upon his life. God had put that mantle on him. Saul didn't. God chose him. And David was struck to the heart. He said, I shouldn't have done that. That ever happened to you before? We're in the midst of maybe a conflict. You said you did something and immediately you felt remorse and you're really like, why did I do that, right? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Listen, the more and more you suppress the conviction that God places upon your heart, the harder and harder it will be for you to have the right perspective in conflict, The more you listen to bad advice and the more you suppress the conviction of the Lord, the harder it's going to be the next time you're in conflict to step back and say, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? How do I respond? The more you suppress it, the harder it's going to become. 
the more pain, the more heartache you'll have in conflict, and you'll repeat the cycle over and over and over again. How many of you have said instead, God, what's your will for me to do here? God, what do you want me to say? God, how do you want me to respond? We often don't do that, do we? We just kind of charge forward uh, in our anger, in our rage, because we want justice and we want vengeance. And so are you sensitive to the Lord's voice, the Lord's conviction, the Lord's leading in the midst of conflict? We should be. Right? And I think that's really the essence of what Jesus, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, you fast forward in, in Jesus and the Sermon on, on the Mount, in chapter 5 in verse 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And I want you to know that Jesus isn't just talking about having a mournful, uh, sad disposition in life, but he's talking about the very spirit and the very attitude that David had in 1 Samuel chapter 24, this attitude that says, I'm broken over my sin. I'm broken over, over the relationships that I had, the way I've responded. I'm broken in those moments. That's what David had, the spirit of mourning over his sin. He had a heart that was soft and sensitive to the Lord and the Lord's conviction. Do you have that today? Do you have that today? Especially in the midst of our conflict when we're so, so quick to judge and so quick to get vengeance and so quick to respond, do you have this kind of heart, Right? And that's hard, I know, but it's a perspective that David had with a man who he called father-in-law, a man who wanted to kill him. David had this perspective, right? And of all the people, David would seem justified, wouldn't he, for reaching, uh, re reacting in, in anger. Like, he, he, he would seemingly be the guy who like, yeah, you know, it's kind of justified, Listen to what David would also say in Psalm 51. I, I love how David writes these psalms in response to his own brokenness in his own circumstances. In Psalm 51, 17, notice this. It says, the sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God, what you desire for me to be in the midst of this is more important than me getting vengeance and me getting my way, right? David lived this out in 1 Samuel 24. Be careful who you listen to. Be sensitive to the Lord's conviction. Here's the third thing that we can learn. I got three more for, for you to, 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 to notice this morning is this, is that we need to recognize the value in the other person. How do we manage conflicts? How do we deal with difficult people that we would actually do what David does here and that we would see the value that God sees in the other person. And let me tell you something, that God values the person you're in conflict with in a way that you do not. And we need to see that. Like, we need to learn to value people the way that God values people, even difficult people. Check out what David uh, does here and how he values Saul uh, in, the, in the following verses. Verses 7 through 11, it says, So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And I find that to be very interesting. Because in the midst of conflict, we may say, Oh, I won't do anything. I won't say anything. I won't respond. But, you know, if somebody else does, so be it. David doesn't do that. He actually restrains these men because there wasn't a, a guy in there who would have said no to David if David said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And they would have pounced on him. And they would have finished it, the word of David. But David persuaded them. And it says, and Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterward, verse 8, David also arose and he went out of the cave and he called after Saul. And notice what he says to Saul. He says, my lord, the king. 
What does that say? That says value. I value who you are. He says, my Lord, the king, and when Saul looked behind him, notice what David does. He bows with his face to the earth and pays homage. He values Saul. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? And and David really knew that that likely uh, Saul isn't doing what he's doing because he's being told by other people, but he thinks he's giving him the benefit of the doubt, and he's showing him, Saul, the person, value to make the right choice. Don't listen to other people. He says, behold, this day your eyes, Saul, have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some, some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand, notice what he says, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father. Why did he call him my father? He says, father-in-law. Look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Here's what Saul or David valued in Saul. David valued the person God made Saul to be, not the person he had become. You see, David saw Saul as God's anointed. Like, I see the value that God sees in you, and I will value you as that person, the king that God chose to lead Israel, and he respected that title, and he respected that position greatly. He saw the value in Saul before he saw the flaws in Saul. What do you see in the other person that you're in conflict with? What do you see first? Do you see the flaws? Do you see the inadequacies? Do you see all the failures? Do you see all the past and all the things that they've done to wrong you? Or do you see the value that God places upon their life? Listen, that perspective, it changed how David approached the conflict in his relationship with Saul. He focused on what God made him to be rather than what he had become. And what a difference that made, right? What a difference that made. What could change in your relationships, right? Especially the ones that are in conflict. I mean, this obviously could apply to your marriage relationship. What could happen if you stopped looking at and and placing in number one the flaws of the person and started seeing the value in that person? The value that God sees and the value that God puts on that person, if you place value on them, uh, uh, that's even higher than yourself. And that's bold, isn't it? In in fact, that's what the scriptures demand from you and I in our relationships. In in Philippians chapter 2, let me just remind you of what Paul says in verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a game changer, in conflict, that in the midst of conflict and in the midst of dealing with difficult people, that we would say, in humility, I will count that person more significant than myself. Very difficult, I understand, right? Very difficult, but yet so, so necessary. Here's something else to consider that I'll just kind of mention briefly and move on, but it's really tied to this idea of valuing other people, uh, is that David valued not just the person of Saul, but he actually valued the relationship and was willing to take a risk in order to repair it. Notice what happens in verse number eight. This is that David walks out of the cave uh, he, David, or Saul uh, leaves the cave, and, and David gets up, and he runs to the mouth of that cave, and, and he calls out to Saul, and he speaks to him. 
And he puts not only himself at risk, but he also puts his men at risk. I read that this week, and that kind of struck me. Because I thought, you know, if that was me sitting in the recesses of that cave, I'd be like, let him pass by. Let's give it 45, and then we'll leave. (laughs) That's the safer bet, right? But David doesn't do that. He takes a risk because he valued the relationship that could be. And so I wonder this morning, what kind of risks are you willing to take in your relationships for what could be? Maybe not what is, but what could be. Two more quick things. How do we manage conflict with difficult people? And we'll breeze through these really quick. Is we need to let God get vengeance and justice instead of us. Isn't that so hard? Because when we're in conflict and we, when we feel wronged and we feel like this is unjust and, 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 and vengeance needs to happen, we want to get vengeance immediately. We want judgment. We want justice. But notice what David does here in verse 12. It says, may the Lord, this is David speaking, and he's speaking to Saul, and he says this, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But notice what he says, my hand, it shall not be against you. David said this essentially, I'll let God be both judge and avenger of my life. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure if like David learned that the hard way, right? Like so many of us do through trial and error and thinking like, I need to get vengeance. I need to get justice. And we do. Has this ever happened to you before where you got vengeance and you got the justice you thought you needed? And then you had just a wave of regret. You had you just totally unsatisfied. Like that didn't satisfy me the way that I thought it would. And and I think David understood this. David understood that, you know, I can try to get justice here, but I don't want to live with that kind of regret. I don't want to live with that kind of regret and that kind of decision for the rest of my life. And so we need a spirit like this that says, justice and vengeance is not my role. It's God's role. What does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's God's job, not his. So let him get vengeance and justice. Here's the last thing. We just need to resolve to do what's right. Can you imagine in conflict before the conflict even happened or before the conflict spiraled out of control that you and I made the choice and made the decision to say, you know what, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter how they respond, I will do what's right. And I will make a decision to be resolved in the midst of conflict to do the right thing. Notice what David says here is the proverb of the ancient says, he says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. David understood his situation well, I think, right? I I think David had real expectations instead of false hope here. He knew like, like, this is what's true. What is true is this out of the wicked will come wickedness. What does he mean by that? He means that evil people are going to do evil things. Right? Evil people are going to do evil things. And Saul has proved himself over and over and over again throughout his life that he wasn't all that interested in obeying the Lord. And so what can you expect from a guy like Saul? Well, you can expect wickedness. You know, sometimes we place unrealistic expectations on people, don't we? Especially people who don't know Jesus. We get so offended 
by, by the conflict, by the things that they say, by the things that they do, by the choices that they, that they make. Like, why would they do that? And why didn't, didn't they choose the better route? And why didn't they, you know, act more holy and just in this situation? Out of the wicked comes wickedness. And that's what you can expect. But David says, knowing that, my hand will not be against you. Uh, not only his hand, but I think David would also say, my words, my lips will not be against you. That I am resolved to not respond in a way that is ungodly and unholy. What if you and I had that perspective in our conflicts? How could that change the conflict that you're experiencing right now? You see, this is the way of Jesus, is it not? And this is how we deal with conflict. The only response in conflict you can control is yours. Bottom line this morning, would you stand as we get ready to close and our worship team comes back up this morning? I want to leave you with just a few questions to ponder based on those five things that we talked about this morning, maybe one, maybe two, maybe all of them touch you. I don't know. But let me leave you to ponder those five things this morning. Who are you listening to for advice in conflict? Right? We say, we're like, well, I'm listening to Christians. Well, you know, let's be honest. Just because you're a Christian doesn't, doesn't by default, make you give great advice. Right? Like, here are these, these men that are with David, and, and maybe they were followers of God. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. They were very faithful, very loyal men for all of David's days. But here, they weren't interpreting the situation correctly. They thought it was God's providence, God's will, God's promise to you, David, take it. But they were wrong. Who are you listening to? Where are you getting your advice this morning? Number two, are, are you sensitive to the Lord's conviction and leading in your conflict? Maybe God's been prompting you. Maybe he's been leading you. Maybe he's been convicting you of something that, that you need to repent. And maybe, maybe you need to have a conversation. I don't know. But are you sensitive to that? Listen, don't put your hands up and put a wall up when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you. It just won't end well, right? And number three, do you recognize the value that God places on that human being? Do you see that person that you're in conflict with the way that God sees them, that God loves them, God has died for them, God values them so much that he was willing to place himself on a cross so that they might know him? Are you trying to get vengeance and are you resolved to do what's right? Five simple things that can change how you deal with conflict from a guy like David who had it way worse than you, way worse than me. God, this morning we recognize that conflict is a reality. We cannot avoid it. But Lord, help us to learn to navigate conflict in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and not ours. God, may, may we let you get vengeance and justice. May we seek to do what's right. May we not respond as people who are driven by our rage and driven by our anger and driven by our jealousies and what we want. But God, help us to respond the way you desire for us to respond. And we know, we know the impact that can have, not just on our relationships, Lord, but on the people that, that see that conflict and see a better way. 
May it be so with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?